0: Hello and welcome to Here Now, a Whitechapel Gallery podcast that delves into the stories behind the exhibitions on view at the gallery here in the heart of East London. Each episode invites a curator to be in conversation with artists, collaborators and other thinkers about the works and themes explored in the displays, giving you special access to the ideas that shape the artworks. My name is Jane Scarf, Curator of Public Programmes, introducing you to today's episode, which explores the 2021 programme of Artists Film International, a collaboration between Whitechapel Gallery and 20 global partner organisations. In 2021, the works selected give us pause to reflect on the meaning of care in today's society, from bodily, mental or spiritual care to healing, trauma and solidarity. Curator Emily Butler is in conversation with artist Agni Doksa and artist Rahana Zaman speaks with Gemma Desai to consider the meaning of care within their work. Artist Film International is available online year-round and in the gallery from the 19th of May 2021.
1: Hello, my name is Emily Butler and I'm the curator of the Artist Film International programme at Whitechapel Gallery. Today I'm going to discuss the subject of care which is the theme for our international moving image programme throughout 2021. First, let's step back a year to June 2020. The world was in the midst of the global COVID-19 pandemic. In the UK, the government just released the Track and Trace app to try to move the country out of a stringent lockdown where people were confined to their homes and kept separate from friends and family. The control and separation of people was now being devolved to a mobile tracking system. Meanwhile, protests were raging across the globe after the murder of George Floyd by a member of the US police force, in another example of unnecessary brutality against black citizens. This brought up issues of racism and the ongoing legacy of slavery and colonial exploitation, which resonated with many individuals and collective experiences across the globe. As an institution, and along with our 21 other artist film international partners, As we started to think ahead of next year's theme, we felt it was important to consider a counterpoint to feelings of global anxiety in the face of illness, racial and economic inequality, and increasing governmental control brought about by the pandemic. We wanted to address the subject of care. Care can mean many things, and it's a subject that many artists and institutions are rightly increasingly paying attention to. The brief was open for institutions to suggest works that could address physical or mental well-being, healing, especially post-trauma, family, community and social networks, solidarity and political activism, environmentalism, and specifically in relation to the Artist Film International Network, the idea of collaboration and support within the film and art worlds. I'm delighted to be in conversation with Lithuanian artist Agne Jokse whose work Dear Friend was selected by the Contemporary Arts Centre in Vilnius. The work that we're showing is called Dear Friend and it's a performance from 2019 which you scripted I believe in the style of a semi-fictional open letter to a close friend. And in this letter we discover that you've not been in touch for a while. As a viewer we're intrigued to hear about how your friendship developed and why you've been out of touch and to hear that you both care deeply for each other. The work itself contemplates on friendship as a celebration of platonic love between two queer women. For me, this work really made me consider the nature of friendship. We're so used to relations being categorised into different typologies or boxes and forms of love. However, I think your work really brilliantly explores how love is a spectrum of feelings. You mention in the work how important love is to friendship, and how friendship is often valued less highly than symbiotic or quote-unquote toxic relations of two. You also explore the wider concept of kinship in the work. Can you tell us a little bit more about your reflections on love in this work and in your practice more generally?
2: Both in this work and pretty much every other work I'm starting to do, Love is, in some kind of way, a starting point in general. <laughs> it's difficult to answer why. Maybe it's uh, like the inner need uh, or the necessity to, to focus on, uh, on love, which seems the ideal, the utopian. So, more specifically, in Dear Friend, I've been discovering the friendship as the relation of care and it seemed pretty obvious that love is something that sustains it as any other relation. If I would reflect generally on love, I would root it in kindness which helps people to be in closeness discover different worlds through through the relations we build. i don't know for me it is just a very important element of life which brings so much joy and uh, just uh, this feeling of belonging in some kind of way
1: And in the sense that you understand this belonging through this kind of exchange between two
2: people? Not necessarily, not necessarily two people, actually. Like, it can be as well communities of people, groups of people, two people, three people, five people, doesn't matter how many people, even one uh, person.
1: And I was also intrigued by your use of the term magic in the work you mentioned that several times can you tell us a little bit more about how you think love relates to magic
2: mm, yeah it's I suppose it's quite funky that when you try to search you know, for example uh, an answer to a question what is love pretty conventional answers uh, lead you towards Answers in relation to romantic love. For me, it was an attempt to uh, twist this notion and uh, call it magical, call it in some kind of way, uh, not necessarily uh, socially acceptable. Because what is magic when you try to look on that? It is something that is socially unacceptable. And friendship, because it is in some kind of way undervalued in in comparison to uh, other types of romantic relationships, it seemed like it's pretty magical that people give themselves into friendship when it is something that is not necessarily acknowledged as core relations uh, of uh, people's lives. There, there was this uh, thought that I had while writing this text that it's pretty funky that when people are breaking up, it's acceptable to ask for a day off uh, from work. I was just wondering, would it be acceptable to ask a day or a few days off if you are breaking up from a uh, friendship? Mm. And it didn't seem like it would uh, be that acceptable. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong uh, here. Uh,
1: That's an interesting point you make. And I think what's really striking in the work is this really deep, caring connections that you hold with your friends. And importantly, also your joint investment in common causes, such as feminist and queer social causes. I was really intrigued by a moment in the film when you and your friend discover that you were let down by your friend's former lover who ran away with funding for a common feminist art project you were setting up. And in the work, I feel that we really sense a kind of push and pull between what is your common and kind of divergent causes and what binds you. And that's perhaps mirrored in how your friendship seems to shift throughout your narrative. So I was wondering, you mentioned this earlier about how, you know, you can be in deep connection with individuals, but also many other people and common causes. I wonder if an, a point that you're trying to make in your work is this idea of friendship really enabling kind of different and common perspectives to collide and bounce off each other. And if this idea of caring that you were just talking about is, is this idea of embracing both unity and difference in the way that you described losing yourself in
2: each other's friendship. It's a very good and on-the-point question sort of uh, leading to an answer, actually. I I have a feeling that you have a good insight. Definitely, I was uh, making a point on the possibility to connect and maybe understand uh, different uh, point of views uh, through the closeness that you can experience in uh, many different forms of relations in this specific work I definitely wanted to contribute to the friendship love mythology and try to yeah try to contribute to uh, alternatives because it seems that we live pretty much in the world which is like okay well queer people maybe Queer community has been doing a great job dismantling certain notions and certain uh, societal agreements on how relationships should be done. However, it still seems like in the hierarchy of relations, friendship does not necessarily come very uh, high to the top. And yeah, I've been just wondering for a long time, How come it is like that? Because living in the world would be so lonely without friends. Friends are actually the people that stick around and uh, come along. It doesn't matter in what kind of other relations you are.
1: And I guess in a way there's this idea of like a true friendship you can always reconnect to. So I was wondering if actually that's what's happening in the work. It's this kind of loop of you being disconnected but then reconnecting and this idea of perhaps coming apart because of a divergent opinion about something, but reconnecting at the end because you ste- you're you able to step back and, and rekindle your kind of common cause or your common interest and this common love that you have for each other.
2: I just believe that uh, people can be close to one another despite... Uh, Views. That is at least my experience in life, that with some people, you connect on very different levels. Like with certain people, you connect on different levels. And especially uh, now when we are living in the times of polarization, when people are just split and divided, it seems like a strategy for me. Uh, how to go through all of that and still be connected to the world that is not necessarily part of your bubble. And at least that is something that I very much value in friendships, that you can still meet beyond the differences. And definitely sometimes you just go apart for a while, maybe for as long as it is necessary to meet again through those, uh, sometimes even, hardcore clashes. But when you do, it's an adventure that you sort of fall into uh, that allows you to uh, grasp something that uh, would be very difficult to grasp if not the personal relation that you have with a person who might see the world differently.
1: I think that's probably a nice point at which to end this conversation so I wanted to thank you Agni, that was brilliant, so nice to speak to you. Thank
0: you so much. We now hear from artist Rohana Zaman, whose 2016 work, Sharla, Shabana, Sojourner, Selina, was selected by Whitechapel Gallery to feature in the 2021 Artist Film International programme. When we invited Rohana to contribute to this podcast, she in turn extended an invitation to her friend, the curator, Gemma Desai. Together, they chose to contribute their voices through the exchange of a series of voice notes, recorded over a number of weeks, prompting questions to one another and reflecting on the shared values of their work. What you will now hear are excerpts from this exchange between friends, which meanders in, around and between Sharla Shabana, Sojourner, Sedina. They refer at times to Zaman's latest film, Alternative Economies, which premiered at the Berwick Film and Meej Arts Festival in September this year, where Desai is Head of Programming. At times they also refer to Desai's independent research paper on racism in the cultural sector. This work isn't For Us, published in 2020 and freely available to access online.
3: Hey Rana, just getting us started and hoping that you had a really nice weekend away. Um, The photos look really beautiful. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. It's been super interesting, like, sitting with this work, like, because I also saw, like, your latest work. And I think I've said this to you already. I've been thinking about weight in terms of how we think about work, like, what it's weighed down with, and weight as this burden that people don't want to carry when they watch things, but also that it's like a deflection. I don't know if that makes sense, but in the sense of something can feel heavy with a concern, which is really important, right? But can also feel heavy to make, and then people can receive it as heaviness. And I've been thinking about this in relation to political concerns, so thinking about... I think we discussed this when we've been talking and you've been mentioning and you've been very active in stuff around Palestinian solidarity and we've been talking about that and I've also been experiencing it. So I haven't been organising in the arts or at all previously to this kind of raising of interest around Palestine, but I've been reading a lot about it. And what I'm really interested in is that the air changes when you mention a subject like Palestine. And I think that the air changes when you mention something like racism in a workplace, right? And Sharla Shabana is, like, quite heavy with those questions um, and quite unflinching in some ways. And And then it was just so amazing to see your new, I think as yet untitled work which is weighed with all the same concerns right but you seem less weighed down by them I just wonder about how it felt how those two films felt differently I'm just wondering about what you think about the, whether language um, verbal written conversational dialogue is shifting in your practice because obviously it's absolutely still there. But I noticed in your newer work you were using different strategies and you were finding other ways to process and give space. And I wondered if there was something about the need to, not exactly conquer, because that seems quite um, colonial, but I definitely recognise in my own practice and my own journey with this work isn't for us that there was this commitment to trying to have a dialogue and trying to make it make sense and more recently really being confronted with it isn't always possible to come to understanding in a conversation and it isn't always possible to be understood but that's okay or at least it will be one day when I get to that higher consciousness I guess So, yeah, just wondering about consciousness raising and the act of dialogue and lightness and weight. Hi, Gemma. It was so lovely to get your message. So
4: I was thinking about what you were saying about weight and the burden, burdens, uh, deflection and what might be received as heaviness and thinking about, I guess, lightness in relation to what what you experienced with the, the newer work the comparison or the the shift in feeling of the weight of Charlotte Shabana and the way that lightness is sort of manifesting in this other space with this other work. And I guess, yeah, in response to this question of the act of making and what it felt like to make those two works, I actually went back and read your epilogue from This Work Isn't For Us um, I was just reflecting on our conversation that time in Biddles uh, about the prompt, the prompt for that work, the shift, the, like the turning point and a desire to speak directly to something, to, I think you, you refer to it as being unflinching in laying out a set of concerns around racist structures that we're trying to navigate and operate through. And that being the prompt, but that actually the work moving outside of that um, with Shala Shabana. So it was a really light, light production. Like there was hardly any budget at all. And I was doing a lot of workshops at that time, or had come out of a period of doing quite a lot of workshops with like groups of women. So, Voice of Domestic Workers. And part of those workshops were um, using this exercise from Forum Theatre where we would role play a scenario. And I kind of come up with this question of can you think of a situation when you've been blocked by a group or an organisation? So not another person, not an sort of intimate blocking, but uh, something that's kind of more collective or social that has a social dimension to it. That workshop activity is an invitation for people to write down um, privately and then we put all of those letters an accounts into a, a hat and then move on and do some other things and then come back to it and different people will pull out an account and read it and then we choose one collectively that's you know that's anonymous and then we will role play it and strategize like how do you how do you work through that situation how do you push through the blockage or push through and find a way around it um, and so in a way that. There's an uncanniness to that that felt like I wanted to throw open a process of making films and bring in this workshop activity. And so this was sent out to actors to respond to, to come to an audition and share an experience or alternatively to read the scripted segment of that's a quote from the Michelle Citron film around fogging, which you also pick up on in your text. So yeah I think I think there's weight in that there's totally weight and thinking about making that in 2015 I'm really trying to remember what conversations felt possible then there was no appetite to listen actually or less less so than now so much has shifted um particularly around um the uprisings and the sort of aftermath of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everything that swept across the US and and here but not only that in the last year but prior to that A kind of like sharpening of attention, and an understanding. It feeling like there's been momentum building to to be able to attend to these very difficult conversations that have been just given very little breathing space.
3: Hi, love. It's really interesting to listen to this first voice note about the workshops. to listen to it today when I've just come back. There's a couple of words that you used which I just wanted to connect to some things that I have been thinking about in terms of what this work isn't for us did. um, So that conversation in Biddle's actually was really interesting because I think it was the first conversation where I realised that I had been through some sort of trauma because I didn't remember the situation in quite the same clarity as you did. And now that I've listened to this voice note and now understand why I didn't understand it and potentially why you did, and I think it's got something to do with your filmmaking and your practice, because there was a form of, like, collective validation and collective learning that you had been doing, which you'd had been holding for other people, but this process that you describe of recounting and sending these testimonies into, you know, this container and then passing them around and a sort of collective building of a of a way to, to deal with these things is is kind of not dissimilar to this retreat that I've just been on. And I think we all brought some of our griefs into the collective container and we all collectively held each other to kind of hold them and, and not solve them but think about strategies, tools um techniques to to take care of that grief um in ways that made it feel less of a burden and I think about weight again right to make it feel lighter to make it feel less turned inward and I think that also something that you said as well which I wanted to just also witness is that you said that the prompting was this idea of you know, being confronted by that block and that that was the prompting but then it, it turned into something else and I've been also thinking about how we turn uh, the fight, the resistance, the, the what you do with the block, right? You need to meet it with some force but how we then turn that into a yielding and that's not the same as just ignoring it or, you know, not naming it. But that actually this idea of being unflinching is not possible because sometimes things have impact and we have to draw attention to that impact. I kind of wanted to talk about a piece that I wrote before I wrote This Work Isn't For Us, which there are some pieces in that in this piece that I wrote, which is a, a letter to my daughter, it's a letter about care. And in that piece, really I'm talking about caring for my daughter. But also about what is permissible as care, what is legible as care, and what is seen as um, a burden. And I think this letter that I was writing to Lena, which then turned into This Work Isn't For Us was really about the body it was really about rewriting myself saying that these these things i care about so this letter about care is not just care for lena it is a it is care about injustice in the world it is care about the fact that the reason why people can't imagine that me and lena belong together is because of white supremacy and i care about that but the reason I care about that isn't because of some abstract sense of justice. It lives in my body. It belongs in my body. This this is a need that I feel in my body, um, and it is expressed by the body, um, not not through never. You know, like the the journey really is. I think, in a way, that it will only be expressed by those those ways. Those there's other sensorial ways, um, they will find meaning in those connections, not in these more cerebral connections. Hi, Gemma. I feel like whenever
4: we get together and we talk, there's um, a million different routes and we sort of lose ourselves in and the hours of conversations that we've had <laughs> uh, are somehow sitting underneath these little voice notes So in a way, I'm kind of happy to have them and that we can go back and dig into them more as part of our unfinished conversation. There were a couple of things that I wanted to respond to. I guess I really loved hearing you connect our conversation with the letters to Lena because I actually remember, I think you wrote that quite early on in in our friendship when we were getting to know each other and I think this thing that you're describing around firstly the beauty and ugliness thing that you mentioned in that letter it's wonderful to go back and read it actually because and to see the kind of how how much care becomes this pivot through which you're moving through different forms of relationality and returning to that word and and moving away from it and exploring the limits of it and where and the absence of it actually in these other contexts and so the the relationship you're making with care or with forms of care and visuality and beauty and that quote that you pull from the film which I also remember and thought was amazing as well as a as this incredible woman filmmaker pacific islander or maori and hearing about and seeing her through the eyes of her son actually to decolonizing the screen as the title of the film goes so yeah the description of their not being able to portray beauty because there is no beauty there I think that really is deeply folded into a lot of my concerns or feeling of carefulness around using beauty or an idea of beauty or conforming to a visual cinematic language actually when speaking about harm and violence and trauma um, in the context of racialization or racism and sexism and you know ableism and homophobia or I kind of feel there's a dexterity that's required to to play with that cinematic form or that visual language when a certain type of material is being broached. And I'm, I'm, I always feel very conscious of that. And in the past, I've often, yeah, been more excited by things which push the boundaries of that visual language or force a kind of more awkward or active way of engaging with the material without sounding pretentious <laughs> about that. Because I think in a way it's it's really well articulated by like Bell Hooks, I guess, in that idea of consumption. I'm thinking a lot about consumption and as how how do I avoid capture, how do I avoid consumption in a way that makes what I'm trying to talk about, digestible. In a way, it shouldn't be digestible. It should be the thing that gets stuck in your throat or is repulsive because racism is repulsive. I think within Charlotte Shabana, Sujana Selina, there is there is racism, of course, but I often encounter people talk about that work as being just a, a sort of a litany of racist crimes, but actually it isn't that kind of straightforwardly presenting one instance after another of uh, racist encounters actually there are deviations or there's a complex burying of this thing that is both racist and erotic or something or racist and misogynist or you know so that it's it's performing through these different iterations and manifestations so yeah I just wanted to kind of uh, hype up your point there around drawing these relationships through these different documents, I guess, through these different films. I wanted to say thank you to you as well for taking time and bringing your heart to this. And I really loved speaking with you about my work and going back over works that you shared with me over the past few years and reading them anew with different eyes and I would love to continue this conversation as well and see where it takes us. Okay, love. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Here Now. You can find all of our other episodes online at www.whitechapelgallery.org or on the Bloomberg Connects app, as well as iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and SoundCloud. Don't forget to visit the website to watch the latest films in the Artist Film International programme. Bye for now.